Father in heaven, we thank you that um, you didn't leave us with hard hearts. But through Christ, you've given us your Holy Spirit, and with that, the promise of a new heart. And you have replaced laws of stone with laws that have been branded on our hearts. I pray that you would continue that branding process today a little bit deeper. That even as we uh, discuss giving, it wouldn't be out of obligation or out of guilt or any of those emotions would arise, but rather you would fill our hearts with love and we would see a clearer picture of who you are. And we would live all of our lives in response to that reality. Amen. Well, today we are continuing on in our membership series. We are calling We Are the Body. This is like our inaugural membership series. If you are new, we've split it up into three parts, three, three week parts. And last week we just finished the second part, but the first section was called Gospel Grace Membership to Christ, where we unpacked our theology at Prism, a big, beautiful view of God's sovereign grace that has been offered to sinners and how you can receive that by faith alone in Jesus Christ. The second section was called gospel guidance, membership to each other, where as we receive that grace, it now starts to flow into every avenue of our existence and it changes the way we interact with each other. No longer out of rivalry or out of disinterest, but rather out of love and out of charity and out of humility towards each other, the grace must move and it starts to shape us if we have received it. Today we transition into our third section we are calling gospel governance, membership to the organization. In this section of our series, we're going to get into more of the nuts and bolts of what uh, life in the church looks like from a systemic angle. Last year over the summer, uh, Chuck had five weeks away for part sabbatical, part finishing up his dissertation. And so I had the great privilege of bringing the word five weeks in a row. And um, luckily for Chuck, this is quite convenient how this worked out. It just so happened that we were getting into the section of 2 Corinthians that deals on giving the week that he left. And so my first three sermons of the five were on giving. Thank you, Chuck. It just so happens that today Chuck had to be gone, and guess what part of the series we are in, and we are the body. We are in giving today. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if that is accidental from his perspective. I say this somewhat jokingly, but the reality is it is an absolute joy to talk about giving financially as part of the life of the church, because the reality is the opportunity to give, the ability to give is actually an act of grace on God's part. The fact that he thinks enough of us to allow us to play a a meaningful role in the redemption of all things is almost unbelievable to consider. Now, we all have different baggage from our church background, um, some of it rightly so. Maybe you've seen uh, ministers use this to coerce people or manipulate people in, into trying to be financially generous towards the church for their own agenda. I totally get that. And that's why at PRISM, we will always go to the Bible for instruction as to how we are to think about everything, including giving. And that's exactly what we are going to do today. Uh, So if you would open up your Bible or your app to 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to start in verse 6 and literally just go straight through the text. Um, 
It's so important that you always see that these aren't my thoughts. These aren't Pastor Chuck's thoughts. Uh, These are God's thoughts, and they are so much bigger than our church. Even if you leave prism, this is still God's word to you on what it looks like to live in light of the gospel. So here's where we're going today. We're going to think of Christian generosity as this great engine. And as we go through the text, the Apostle Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is going to give us six pistons in this engine so that it runs properly and powerfully and efficiently. And then at the end of this, I'm going to bring up Lori and Tammy, some members of our financial uh, accountability team, so you can hear from them as well. All right, so here we go. Piston number one in this engine is we give in light of the reap so proverb. Verse six says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So Paul begins this, one of the most explicit teachings in the New Testament on Christian generosity, by quoting from the book of Proverbs. This verse comes directly from the book of Proverbs. Now, if you aren't a Christian or you didn't grow up in the church, the, book, the Bible can admittedly at times be a bit perplexing, hard to, to understand, um, are all verses created equal? Does it ever contradict each other? Are we mean, meant to read it literally? Well, this is a vastly important interpretive uh, gem that I offer to you when it comes to looking at Scripture. The Bible is a collection of books, and like any library, it has different genres. And this comes from Proverbs, which is part of what's called the wisdom literature. The wisdom literature. And what Proverbs do is they gave you basic truths on how the world typically works. So we have what's called the reap-sow proverb here. God has structured the world in such a way that there is this sowing and reaping principle. If you invest in something, you will reap what you have sown. Our brother Dale is a horticulturist, so he sees this play out all the time in his work. If he wants there to be beautiful flowers come spring, he knows he has to sow seeds. And this is what Paul is talking about. And the reality is that there isn't anything necessarily Christian about this verse. I mean, you can be a non-Christian and it still applies to you because this is how God has created the world. But what Paul is not advocating here is a surefire way to increase our wealth. If you just sow the seed, you'll reap what you've sown and you'll be vastly rich because God is interested in your wealth first and foremost. That is false. Um, And so God is not going to give you surefire proof texts on how to satisfy the the desires of your flesh. That's not what Paul is doing here. He would not advocate that. But this verse isn't any less inspired by God. It's just a basic wisdom principle. If you invest in something, you will reap what you have sown. But it's not enough. Uh, So if we only have this piston in our engine, uh, we won't get very far. But luckily... Uh, The Lord has much more to say to us this morning about Christian generosity, which brings us to number two. We give cheerfully and not under compulsion. Verse seven says, each one must give as he has decided in his hearts, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is always after our hearts. When the Bible uses the language of heart, it's talking about the center of our being, what drives us. 
And Jesus cares vastly more about filling our hearts with love, not emptying our pockets of money. But he knows that one of the surest indicators of our hearts is tied to our money. He knows that we are all prone to seek identity and security in what we have. What's the first thing somebody asks you when you meet them somewhere? What do you do? Well, why do they ask that? We're gauging to see the significance, not, not explicitly, but undertones of that is where do you level up? How much do you make? What do you do? Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this. That's why he says in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is why God loves a cheerful giver. Not because he needs your money. You realize God isn't poor, right? He doesn't need our money. I remember growing up kind of having that view of God. I wouldn't have said it like that, but I kind of thought God was wringing his hands about how we're going to make rent at the chapel this month. He's not. He owns everything. But he loves a cheerful giver because it shows, it evidences that we have received a new heart. If you know somebody who's had a heart transplant, you'll know that um, one of the biggest um, things they keep an eye on in the, in the weeks afterwards is if, if the heart has taken, if the heart has, has taken, if it has found a home inside with the other vital organs, and if they are now working together. And so it is with us, spiritually speaking. The reason God loves a cheerful giver is because it proves that the new heart has taken Because this is not common in our flesh. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves when he sees that the gospel has taken root and the new heart has taken. And so this is how we give at prism, not under compulsion. That's why we don't even pass a plate. I'm not saying that's always bad all the time. I'm just saying we want to model it as bringing our offerings to the Lord, not under compulsion. That's why we have these boxes here. We decide in our own hearts prayerfully, How are we to invest, Lord? How would you have us give? What does it look like to steward well in this church? And then we bring our offerings to the Lord cheerfully. It's an act of worship. This brings us to the third piston in this engine, as it were. We give trusting in God's inexhaustible grace. Verses 8 through 10. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, pretty much covers it, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, of your righteousness. Paul is reminding the Corinthians of a simple but easily forgotten fact here. Our ability to give is because of God's grace to us. Even our ability to give is an act of grace from God because everything comes from God. And so when he sees us stewarding well, he is the God of infinite capacity. 
infinite riches, and surely he will give you more to sow more. God is eager to show himself faithful in our lives. He's eager to pour out grace. And the truth is, at the end of the day, friends, we can't do anything for God other than him empowering us by his grace. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he said it this way. He said, what do you have that you did not receive? That's so freeing. What do you have that you did not receive? This means that we don't have to live lives of clinging to things because everything comes from God's hand. He knows he is sovereign over it all. Then in Acts 17, we see this again. Luke writes, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And so it is when it comes to giving, and it comes down to a question of ownership. The truth is, if you believe you own everything, if I believe my stuff is my stuff, well, then I will live accordingly. If I believe that God owns everything, it will be obvious, and we will listen to him about the uh, reality of stewardship and how, as Lord of all, he would see us steward everything he gives us. It all comes down to ownership. In the text today, we see God is the one who supplies the seed, our faithful stewardship in the church, and to any number of other ministries that we uh, give to. It starts this current here that turns into a wave in eternity. Don't miss that last part. It is profound. He says uh, that God will increase the harvest of righteousness. Righteousness is one of those words that has an eternal ring to it. And so when we are generous with our lives, God turns that into a harvest of righteousness. It is incredible, which brings us to number four. We give so thanksgiving can overflow. We give so thanksgiving can overflow, verses 11 through 12. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. That's incredible. When we give, we create a sacred space whereby people can thank God for the goodness they see in our lives. Uh, We went to Door of Hope a a couple weeks ago for the second time. It's a wonderful ministry just up the street. It's a transitional um, housing community. And we want just to share a meal and to learn more about them and to just um, continue in relationship. And after we had the meal and uh, all the kiddos had gone outside and were playing on the swing set, one of the guys who, who runs um, a pretty big part of the organization gathered us all together to share more of the vision of Door of Hope and kind of why they exist. And then he had a couple people, a couple gals actually come in who, uh, who are at Door of Hope right now with their families. And he had them share, and it was awesome. And there is this one gal. She was this amazing fireball, this African-American gal in her 60s, grandma. And uh, she was just lighting us up, just laying the gospel smack down. If you were there, you know what I'm talking about. Jane Gropp even said, well, I guess we don't need to go to church tomorrow because we just got church here. And then at the end of her testimony, she, with tears streaming down her face, just looked at us and just repeatedly said, thank you. Thank you. 
thank you, thank you for coming and sharing a meal with us, for, for loving us. And, and the truth is, we, we were the ones who were more blessed in the equation. But it's so awesome to see these words from 2,000 years ago come to life and be incarnated there. Because the truth is, Jesus is still alive. His word is still true. And when we give of ourselves, he multiplies our tiny loaves and our fish into a feast of thanksgiving to God. It's highly motivating, right? That is a beautiful thing, and I was so blessed to be able to see that. And being in, in, in ministry here at the church, I, I actually get more of a front row seat than many of you to hear stories of thanksgiving for the existence of our church. So many people have been blessed by the existence of prism through Jesus and, and the gospel. And when you give, when you support the local church, you're pouring more water into that cup that is overflowing with great thanksgiving. And the truth is, I am one of those who are so thankful because when I moved out here to Pasadena, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know a single person in Pasadena, California. And so the church has now literally become my people, my my family, and I'm so thankful to be here. I'm thankful to, to be supported so that I can live in L.A. And, and flex my ministry gifts here as well. And so I say to you, thank you for your investment uh, in our church. I am not abstracted from that. I am very uh, interested in that because I love you guys. I want to be here, and um, so thank you. Four pistons so far. We give in light of the reap so proverb. We give cheerfully, not under compulsion. We give trusting in God's inexhaustible grace. We give so thanksgiving can overflow. And number five, we give for God's glory. Verses 13 and 14. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you. Because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. As creatures that have been created in the image of God. The reason we exist is to glorify God. The reason you exist is to glorify God, to demonstrate to the world who God is. And so when we love and care for each other, we glorify God because God is loving and caring, and we demonstrate that. We reflect his glory onto others. When we go to work, no matter what we do, and put our hand and do good work and bring order out of disorder, we glorify God because God is orderly, and he has called us to cultivate his good creation. Whatever you do, whether barista or accountant or if you're in music or if you're in movies, you glorify God with what you do. And in our text today, we learn that our generosity brings glory to God because God is a generous God. When we give to his work, we glorify him in at least two ways. Number one, we showcase his generous character. And then number two, we proclaim that he is more valuable to us than our stuff, that he is our greatest treasure. It glorifies him when we say Christ is more valuable than my stuff. And so I gladly give back to God a portion of it because he is my treasure. And why would I not invest in what is most valuable to me? Notice how Paul states this again. He says, and catch this language, 
they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ. When you give, people say that you are a man or woman of your word. You are submitted to the actual confession you've made. You've confessed Christ is Lord. This is a submission to that, and it glorifies this. That is, our generosity is a testament that we are living in light of the gospel, that we reject the economy of the age, which says accumulate for as much as you can because that is your ultimate security and that is your ultimate identity. We reject that and say Christ is our treasure, God is sovereign over everything, and we'll be perfectly fine if we put things back into his hands. And this brings us to the final piston in this engine of Christian generosity. Number six, we give because God first gave to us. Verse 15, Paul ends this excursus on generosity with with doxology, with, with praise. He says, thanks be to God for this, his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the foundation of our lives and including our generosity. I've used the analogy of pistons. This can actually better be seen as the fuel that makes the entire engine run. The truth is becoming a generous person isn't by feeling guilty and trying to pay off some cosmic debt. Rather, it's by daily soaking your heart in the truth of the gospel. The good news of the free gift of eternal life that God has offered to you. And this is what separates Christianity from every other religion and every other worldview. Only in Christianity do you have the miracle and the wonder of the incarnation. That is God becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And this God coming and giving of himself in a very costly way. We see the glory and the grits of costly love in the life of Jesus Christ. And that he came and he poured out himself to purchase you. Revelation 5 um, talks about the angels getting a glimpse of the gospel. And they break into a new song and they say, Worthy is the lamb to receive glory, power, honor, dominion. And they say, for by his blood, he has ransomed a people for God. And Jesus proclaims this himself, that he is the God who gives. Our God is the God who gives. Matthew 20, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. The reason Jesus came was to give his life for you. That's how incredibly loved and valued you are. This is the gospel, and this is what reshapes the way we see everything. If you aren't a Christian, if you're just checking prism out, we do not want your money. We, like Jesus, care exceedingly for your hearts, for your soul. We want you to receive the good news of the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. So don't even worry about the first five points I made. Hear this, because it'll work itself out if you start here and you get a vision of the God who is exceedingly generous, who is good, who you can trust. The Apostle Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, ties these threads together for us in Romans 8.32 in a wonderful way. Hear these words. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That is good logic. God gave us his son, his beloved son, who poured out his blood on a gritty Roman cross to save sinners, to give us the gift of eternal life. And so we start here with the gospel. I commend it to you. If you have never trusted in it, believe it today. Why would you reject so great a gospel? The free gift of eternal life, all those cravings in your hearts, the satisfaction of them all, all the longings for a high country that you know exists that you've never seen, that all of your desires are rooted in, is found in Christ. He is the door. And church family, yes, we are to be a generous people. It's something we all need to grow in, but it's not something we do from compulsion. We start with the gospel as well. God has been generous with us. He means to leverage us to expand his eternal kingdom. That is amazing. That is amazing. And that'll change the way we see everything. Well, now I'd like to transition and bring up uh, Lori and Tammy. They're members of our finance accountability team just to have a quick conversation. Um, I'm going to start with you, Lori, since you've been here longer than probably almost anybody in this room, and, and you have faithfully invested in our church um, since you've been here. Um, why? Why has that been so important in your life? And, uh, well, you know, Chuck, when Chuck asked if I would talk about this, um, I really had to sit and think about it, because when I was little and went to church, I would just always drop the quarter in the, the tray or whatever, never really thought about why we did this. And so now as I've, I've gotten older and I've invested in it in the church, um, I think when I became a member of my prior church, it, it meant so much to me, um, that, that family that I was involved in. And when, when the church closed and I had no church home um, and had to church shop for a few years, um, I was kind of lost. And, and it was almost like... A, it was almost like a death to me. Um, so when Chuck planted this church, I was just so thankful that I now had a church home to go go to and that everybody has become part of my family. So it, it really means a lot to me. Um, so I think mainly that is the, the biggest reason why I have, I have tithed. Um, I think another reason is it in times when things are going well, um, it allows me to just thank God for everything that he's given me. And when things have not gone so well financially, it makes me really trust God that I, that he is faithful and he's not going to abandon me. And he's always given me everything I need. Maybe not everything I want, but (laughs) he does give me everything I need. So, um, and I think most importantly is I'm, when I come here, I'm fed spiritually and, and, that is valuable to me. And so the only way I get fed spiritually is by Chuck and, and by Brooks and, and some of my gal pals. And um, that, that is valuable. And so those are kind of basically yeah. the main reasons why. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Well, on that note too, Tammy, I know um, you and your wonderful husband um, have been so wonderful. They had me over for dinner last night. Um, <laughs> What has giving looked like in in your life, um, even when things have been hard? I know you shared some about some harder seasons. Did mm-hmm. you continue to give, or what was your mm-hmm. how's your perspective on that? For a little bit about Nathan and I, uh, 
the first two years that we were married, Nathan was unemployed. It was a difficult season. The market had just crashed. Um, freelance work had dried up. Um, and no newspaper in the country was hiring. And um, those two years were difficult. Um, trusting that there was going to be rent money at the end of, or at the beginning of the month and food even to the end of the month. Um, that first year, it, there was a lot of anxiety. We still gave during that first year, but it was with this giving that was kind of like, uh, <laughs> here, I think. I think. Okay, a little bit. I, I don't know any other words, so I just was going to go facial expression. Yeah, that works. That, one, so. that works. You can speak an essay with your face. It's, it's good. Sure, it's a <laughs> game. Um, something amazing happened between that first and second year. I don't even know the exact timing. I don't know exactly what took place, but God just transformed our heart. Um, we have a God who supplies all of our needs and I'll get choked up abundantly, perfectly. And nothing materially changed in our life between that first year and that second year, but something changed in both my heart and Nathan's heart. Where giving became almost an exercise of, all right, we want to give as much as we possibly can. Um, now, that always didn't look like finances. Sometimes that looked like resources. We transitioned to wanting to have people over all the time rather than dreading, like, okay, so what are we going to serve them? We can't just serve them beans and rice and ramen. Like, <laughs> probably something else. Yeah, I know. Totally works. <laughs> but, like, let's have fun. Let's serve. Let's have people in our house. And that's something that's such a part of the ethos of Nathan and I, if we want to connect and we want community. Um, and the Lord just transitioned something amazing in our heart. Again, our nothing in our life really changed between that year and two outside of our heart, and it's all to the glory of Christ because we have a God who sufficiently supplies our needs. And we even became, in that season, more generous probably percentage-wise than yeah. <laughs> other seasons in our life. And it just was so tender because we have a God who it all originates from anyways. It's his. And it's such a joy to be a part of his kingdom and his kingdom working out um, inside context of friendships, relationships, and the local church. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Well, just two real quick practical questions as far as nuts and bolts. So practically, who, who collects the money here? And is there, what type of accountability is there? Do me and Chuck just kind of put it through it together and then just dish it back and forth yeah. in the office afterwards? Or? All right, let me, let me get some really practical things. Is, is that I how it goes? I love transparency in terms of how finances are handled, especially inside of a church. I know that there's a lot of skepticism here. So let me go over that. Uh, the offering boxes, very practically, uh, where you put your offering in on a Sunday morning is collected by two individuals. We always have two eyes on money. Um, it's an internal accountability issue um, just from the standpoint of not because I don't trust anyone or we don't trust the people collecting. It's just that we want no questions ever to be asked about how that is handled. So they count it. They, they essentially count it and process it. On Mondays, I go through and deposit all the finances. Um, if you give online, that is a set amount. There's nothing, nothing anyone can do to change that. Now, all of that is deposited into our bank accounts. How we handle that money, if you have any questions about how our budget's set up, we answer that as honestly as we possibly can at any point in time. Approach Lori, approach Chuck, approach myself. Um, but one of the things I want you guys to know, and it's really important, is that Chuck is, is so gracious. The only two people right now inside the church that see who anyone gives is myself and Chuck. 
Brooks, he has no idea if anyone gives. I don't want to know. <laughs> and we kind of want to keep it that way. And as we create the financial accountability team, um, it'll transition to Lori and I seeing. And so that way, there is nothing in the pastor's mind or eyes as they are meeting with you going, oh, wow, this person gives a ton. I need to, <laughs> you know, make special things for them or, or this person doesn't, you know what, that's between you and the Lord. And we want to keep it there between you and the Lord. Um, and let these, uh, men of God who are our pastors pastor us, um, to the best of their ability. So that hopefully answers some of the practical questions about yeah. finances. If you have more specific questions, um, my email is on the website, contact me. Right. I'd be happy to go through it at any point in time. Cause again, transparency, transparency, transparency. Sure. Sure. Thank you. Well, real quick, um, by way of conclusions, um, we're in a membership series, and so how is this going to look? So do you have to like give a certain amount to be a member at PRISM? Are we going to kind of post it around so everybody can see, or um, how, does, how does that look at, at PRISM? You, you do not have to give to be a member is basically the bottom line, but we're going to love you anyway. Um, we're going to care about you. You're going to be fed spiritually here. Um, however, giving, I think, is intentionally investing in the life of our church. Um, it allows us to be able to minister to you to, and to other people. Yeah. So yeah. although you don't have to, right. um, it, it really does help us be able to, to spread the gospel. Right, right. I mean, and it just comes down to where your heart is, or where your treasure is, your heart is. You always invest in what you love. And the reality is you don't have to be a member either if, if, you're not feeling comfortable or don't feel called to prism, you are still totally welcome. It's all we'll love you the same and minister to you the same. Um, but you do, you do give to what's important where your heart is and um, as each one has decided, not under compulsion. So thank you ladies so much. Um, Lori, will you pray for us by way of a transition? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for prism, for this family that we've all become a part of, Lord. Um, we know that everything that we have here, Lord, belongs to you and that you have just blessed us so richly um, beyond what words can even say, Lord. Um, we just pray, Lord, that you will continue to guide us and that we will be good stewards, Lord, of your money and of the things that you have given us, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for today and for our church. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, now we are going to transition to a time of response. Uh, we are going to give. We're going to bring our tithes and our offerings after we have prayerfully asked how the Lord would have a steward to that end, we're also um, going to participate in the, commu in the uh, sacrament of communion.